I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Yeah, I feel guilty lately. I feel guilty lately. I'll give you some, uh, what do you call it when you have a word like a prompt, a prompt word? Associative. I like associate, an associative word. Here, I'll give you a few. You know, like, did you, have you eaten anything unhealthy and thought, you know, oh, I shouldn't eat that. Shouldn't eat that. Uh, I just, by the way, this whole list comes from just my week. Um, <laughs> watch anything unwholesome and thought, oh, I shouldn't have watched that. Shouldn't have watched that. Do anything unloving and think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Say something untruthful and you think, oh, I shouldn't have said that that way. Buy anything unwise and think, I shouldn't have bought that. Feel guilty lately? Well, be that as it may, switch gears. I want to ask you a question. If you had your choice right now, he's giving away some free gifts, which of these two little gifts would you select for yourself? I say if I was right now, the baskets are being passed, would you like the pencil or the Purell hand wipe? Which one, first thought, would you take? Okay, how many of you took the pencil? Raise your hand. Nice. How many of you took the Purell wipe? <laughs> I had a hard time saying that. The Purell wipe. Hmm, very interesting. Very interesting. I'll tell you why. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> a study was published in the research publication Science, uh, and the article was titled Washing Away Your Sins Threatened Morality and Physical Cleansing. And it's just so cool to see how God's wired us. Well, they published this, uh, this study wherein subjects uh, were divided into two groups. They're given a short story to read. Short story about a lawyer who finds a document that can save his partner. Okay? In the first version of the story, he does just that. He saves his colleague's case. He's the hero. In the second version, it's kind of sleazy. He shreds the document, double-crosses his partner, gets ahead. Now, after reading the story... Um, there was several things they had them do, but they had to read the story. And then as they walked past the table, they could take uh, one of the free gifts, which of course was the pencil or the Purell wipe. Purell, oh, I'm having a hard time saying Purell wipe. But they could pick up a free gift, a, a, a pencil or an antiseptic wipe, I'll say. Now, interestingly, two-thirds of those who read the faithful friend version took the pencil. It's a better gift. It lasts longer. Two-thirds of those who read the sleazy version chose the hand wipe over the pencil, which, of course, was a number two. Subtle, eh? But it's all registering in the subconscious, so feel guilty lately? Take the pencil or the hand wipe. <laughs> Along with several similar experiments, they found that unethical behavior tends to bring cleansing to mind. And maybe explains, well, one, how we're wired, but also why the world, the secular world, chooses to use words like dirty and filthy and soiled to describe, you know, sleaze in general, but sexual immorality in particular. Maybe it explains why King David, after committing adultery and murder, cried out to the Lord, wash, 
wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And then he starts to talk about his conscience. You desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Wash me there. Wash me there, and I'll be whiter than snow. Because, boy, your conscience, if there is anything God gave us that can be perfected, it's that conscience, huh? How's it know so much that's right? And why don't I listen to it more? Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, our conscience is a God-given gift to help guide and warn and challenge and keep us clean, okay? But unlike his spirit, ours, we are told, is fallible and fragile and flexible, which isn't good. You see, we are all given a basic operating system when we're born, right? But as we grow, we're responsible for training it up in the way we should go. Very interesting. If you to go through, you want to do a fun study, look up conscience in the Bible. Just read all the scriptures on it. It has a lot to say about how God speaks directly to it. They talk about you. That little voice that's in your head. Mm-hmm. Paul writes, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced, fully convinced, you're not violating his conscience, that no food is unclean in itself. Uh, these are the scriptures we've been reading about that whole struggle they're having with the eating the food, you know, uh, given to the, to the uh, snake idols, is why he says he has no problem eating real food dedicated to false idols. But he acknowledges if anyone regards really anything as unclean, then for him, for them, it is unclean. And, and it struck me this week, it's like, that he's okay with eating food sacrificed to idols because I hadn't put these two things together yet and it bothered me when I first saw it. And so I dig in Revelation. We have the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. <laughs> and, and he has a big problem with the church in Pergamum. He says, you have some there in the Pergamum church who hold the teaching of Balaam, that's an Old Testament character, very famous for arguing with a donkey and losing. <laughs> uh, Balaam who taught King Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols. Well, then he says, and practice sexual immorality. We have a lot more of the second issue in the church than the first issue, but nonetheless, we're talking about what Paul's talking about. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So I'm looking at this going, wow. So how is Paul so convinced that, you know, eating food sacrificed to idols is good with God? And it took a bit of digging to put the pieces together, but that's fairly simple in the end, because it's, it's not about the cuisine, it's about the conscience. See, Balaam taught 
taught the enemy, because God was blessing the enemy. Remember, God wouldn't let, Balaam, I don't know if you know the story, but God wouldn't let Balaam speak a curse. Every time he tried to speak a curse, a blessing came out. And so Balaam thought, how can I get around God? And so he taught the enemy to conquer God's people by enticing them to violate their conscience with just little things. So know how Paul's so fully convinced? His conscience knows that Jesus said, don't you know? Don't you know, says Jesus, <laughs> I thought it would be. Don't you know that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And then a little parenthetical here. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Which is why Paul says, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, as one who is in the words of the sword of the mouth of the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced. I taught my conscience. I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself, as Jesus said. Now, pass the bacon-wrapped shrimp, please. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but see, but then he realized, but you're, you may not be there. I don't know, maybe you don't read your Bible. Maybe you don't know what Jesus said. Your conscience might not be as equipped. Your operating system in dire need of an upgrade. He says, so if anyone still regards something as unclean, then for them, it is unclean until the Lord's double-edged sword straightens out their double-minded ignorance which strengthens their onboard guidance system. And everybody wins. Do you know that Peter, Simon Peter, continued uh, to try Jesus' patience long after his death and resurrection? You, you would have thought that would be the end of it, right? Now, I love Peter because he's just always so gung-ho in the wrong direction. It's just us. It's just, if ever there was a, a disciple that represented the every person, well, it turns out, uh, in order to prepare Peter to take the gospel to the Gentiles, he is given a vision of the Lord speaking to him from heaven, telling him to eat the food of the Gentiles in this vision. And Peter replied, Surely not, Lord. He's like, oh, this is a test, isn't it? Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth, as opposed to all the things coming out of his mouth. <laughs> The voice spoke from heaven a second time. It's not written. I assume it's there. Oy vey. <laughs> really? Seriously? The voice spoke a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. By the way, that was Peter's parenthetical that was written after this encounter when he says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. <laughs> That's just funny when you know this encounter and then you go read that parenthetical. In saying this, he, sure enough, sure enough he did. You see, the uninformed, I could say ignorant, I'm trying to be polite. The uninformed are expected to grow in knowledge and wisdom. Right? 
Whereas the informed are expected to grow in love and compassion, which results in a heartfelt desire to reach out and relate to the uninformed in order to help them grow. You ever wonder why we eat ham on Easter? You know, ham's kind of become the Easter, the Easter thing, ham. Because Easter, we celebrate the death and resurrection. That ham declares that Jesus not only fulfilled the law, but thus has the power and authority to make the unclean clean by simply declaring it. Plus, it's delicious. It's just, you know, the one with the brown sugar and the torch. Oh, my goodness. In the verse immediately before, when, right, right before, the, the verse right before Paul says, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean as own. Right before that, he says this, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, you know, make this your goal. Not to put a stumbling block like Balaam taught, or... In, in, or means, in other words, a cause to fall in our brother's or sister's way. Don't put something in their way that's going to make them fall. Either you think, yeah, but that's the right, I'm, I'm on the right side of this thing. They're on the wrong side. I'm, this goes there. You know, if someone you know is blind, you don't get to rearrange their furniture. You know, you're like, but they have no sense of feng shui whatsoever. That's okay. They're blind. <laughs> and you're going to trip them up if you're not careful and you try to force what you think is right in their life. Jesus did not give us a comprehensive list of do's and don'ts. Uh -uh. It is far worse. It is far worse, people. And I mean, by words, I'm kind of being a little flippant. It, I mean, it's far more demanding and exacting and strict. You know, everyone knows rules are made to be broken, right? So he, he really didn't give us rules. He, he gave us a set of principles. That's way, that's way harder. You just can't seem to get out of these. We have to listen to our conscience and do what it says while continuing to train it and strengthen it with truth. You know, it's, it's one thing to not murder. Oh, oh, I'm up on, I got one up on old King David. But we're told that anyone, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. Oh, that's a principle. And then, it's, and then not only that, it says, and you know, you already know that no murderer has eternal life. You have a person that just goes, I'm a murderer. That's what I like to hate. Well, then you don't have the eternal life in you. And then it says, and here it's worse. And this is how we know what love is. Because you don't even have an excuse. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So this is how we know what love is and what it looks like. And, and we ought, therefore, we know that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It is just not simply a matter of me deciding if something is right for me. I must assess to my best 
whether it'll distress the people I influence. You know, it's, all, it's similar to, uh, to how the same aroma, like gasoline, can smell so good to some people. Like, say, you're raised in a wrecking yard. <laughs> While totally offending, putting off others. All right? Just curious, how many of you really like the smell of gasoline? How many of you hate the smell of gasoline? See, not funny? Just like, oh, look at that, we're opposites. Okay, I can't think of, I got nothing for that. <laughs> so, but if it comes to me, I'll, I'll break in. So, Paul says, if your brother, he goes on to say, if your brother is distressed, which is more uh, significant than just, you know, slightly offended, he's distressed. You're that close because of what you eat or whatever you do. You are no longer acting in love. And that's the heart of the matter right there because that's the way of Balaam. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother by causing quarrels or worse, violations of conscience. And he says, because come on, we all know this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of mask wearing. It's not a matter of vaccines. It's, it's a matter of righteousness. You know, not causing sin. Not causing someone to violate their conscience. You know, boy, you want to bring this home. You ever get behind someone going 25 in a 25? It's like, come on, buddy. So you kind of ride their tail. Like, speed it up a little. It's like, yeah, you're pressuring them to violate their conscience, obviously. Me. <laughs> I'm just preaching it myself. Uh, and so is righteousness, not causing sin. A peace, not causing offense and arguments. And joy, that's what it's supposed to look like. Not causing regret and sorrow, which by the way, this does look a lot like our church, the whole righteous peace and joy. I'm loving it. In the Holy Spirit, you know, not the spirit of Balaam. Because anyone, anyone, anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God, and then, isn't that the whole goal? Is pleasing to God, and as a bonus, approved by men. But then Paul turns right around and says to the Galatians, who apparently read this and went, What are you saying? And he says, well, Am I now trying to win the approval of men? Come on. Or of God. Like, understand the heart of what I'm saying. <laughs> or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Really? Almost sounds like a contradiction there. But he's, he's not contradicting himself at all. Because we are not to ever compromise truth to keep the peace. Because then we would not be servants of Christ, who was himself, Jesus Christ, after all, uh, the biggest stumbling block of all time. There's an armload of scriptures on it, like this one. We're told they stumbled over. I mean, he even had the name Stumbling Stone, Old Stumbling Stone there. They stumbled over Old Stumbling Stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. So, why does Jesus get to be a stumbling block? He doesn't get to be. It's just what he is. 
There's a difference between moving the furniture and causing someone to stumble and warning someone that there is a permanent rock right there. Don't stub your toe. He's just the immovable rock. And so Peter says, yeah, coming to him as to a living stone. You know, not like, don't think of him as like a stone idol. As a living stone. And he does call himself the physician, the doctor. So we'll refer to him here on as Dr. Livingstone. Uh, Coming to, don't worry, he's got a better name coming up that you're going to groan even louder. Coming to him as to Dr. Livingstone, rejected indeed by offended men, but chosen by God and precious. Precious, therefore, it is also contained in the scripture for those who think he's precious. Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, God says, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. That's his Native American name, chief cornerstone. Uh, <laughs> told ya. Okay. I had Chief Dave. So now we got, <laughs> never mind. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he, she, who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. You like the smell of gas. But to those who are disobedient, Psalm 18, 118, 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And not only that to those people, Isaiah 8.14 has something to add. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. See, here's the difference. They stumble being disobedient to the word. There's the difference. There's a good stumbling block and a bad. And it has everything to do with discerning the difference. Now hear this, please. Discerning the difference between the disputable matters of man that we can, that we can debate and the non-negotiables of God from his word. We should never confuse the two. It's easy to do. There was this time where Peter was really getting on Jesus' nerves. And it was right before he went to the cross. And he's telling the disciples, he's giving them the scriptures about the cross. And... Uh, Peter jumps up and says, this shall never happen to you. The exclamation point shows that Peter really thinks he's on the right side of this issue. He's really got Jesus on this one. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Jesus was, I can't imagine what's going through him facing that cross. It's like, right now, I need support. I just told you what God's word says. I need encouragement. You're a stumbling block to me. Because, and interesting definition here now. Because you do not have in mind the things of the wisdom of God. But the ignorant things of men. See, Peter was unwittingly, I mean he didn't realize of course. But he was unwittingly trying to prevent the cross and the empty tomb In hindsight, it's pretty bad. See, the act of causing someone to violate their conscience might seem like no big deal at the time. But enticing someone to defy their God-given early warning system is wrong on so many levels. And if they keep doing it, it leads to a seared conscience and a hardened heart. 
Big difference. Here's the difference. Big difference between saying, come on, it's Halloween. Just watch the movie with us. It won't hurt you. And saying, come on, it's Sunday. Come to church with us. It won't hurt you. Big difference between those two things. Convincing someone to uh, compromise their conscience for our convenience is sinful and selfish. Whereas trying to help them grow in understanding and trust of truth is righteous. Even if they take offense in the process. You know, if they're wounded, uh, or offended, I should say, if they're offended by your love and concern while your mind is on the things of God, then they get charged with uh, jaywalking, so to speak. Because I think jaywalking makes a great example, a great analogy. If I'm driving down the road and a jaywalker steps in front of my car and I, right there, and I hit them with my car, they get charged with a crime. Can't do that. Okay? But if I see them in time to swerve and I still hit them, I get charged with assault. You don't need to do that. So when a vulnerable believer, or even an unbeliever, steps between me and my fully convinced freedom in Christ, I'm called to swerve and protect in order to safeguard their faith. And this is because I am commanded to be unswerving. It's a word. It's a word. Unswerving in my commitment to walk in the light of the love of Christ. So you know, I may hit a few jaywalkers, but it's not going to be my fault. If I see them in time, I'm swerving. But if they step out and get plowed over, I'm not feeling guilty either. I would feel a little guilty. That's, the analogy breaks down there. Okay. Yeah, I, just, I didn't test that one out mentally before I said it. Uh, <laughs> I don't feel... Frump, 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 whatever. <laughs> yeah, perfect analogy. Uh, <laughs> Paul declared that today is the day, meaning this era we're in, today is the day of salvation. And Jesus said, well, if anyone walks in the day, walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, they stumble because the light is not in them. Oh, we're not just talking about the moon and the sun. No, no. He says later, whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they're going. It's said another way, people who don't know where they're going are walking in the dark. And so he says, come on, believe in the light while it's here, while you have the light. You might get hit by me tomorrow. <laughs> I was going to say a bus, but I'm out there. <laughs> we don't know if we'll be around tomorrow. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. And that's that big old tanker, you know, the, the being pushed around by that tugboat. Which one was tugboat and which one was tanker? Your tugboat. I was tanker, that's right. We're going to start a show. Uh, <laughs> tugboat and tanker. Uh, and walking in the truth, walking in the light, necessarily means standing up to non-truth, standing up to darkness, when God gives us the timing and the means 
and the wisdom and the words to do so in love. There's a lot of caveats here. In his name as his servants. I love this. This sounds so not like uh, the Americanized Jesus. Jesus said, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Uh, The old double-edged sword of God's word that comes straight from his mouth. Because the Prince of Peace, among everything else he did, he came to shake things up. Because peacemakers must necessarily sometimes be troublemakers. When Paul was called in on trial in Caesarea, that's uh, some ruins of Caesarea there, uh, Tertullus, who I like to think of as Turtulus, Turtulus uh, presented his case before Felix, who was a Roman cat. Uh, <laughs> ketchup. So think turtle and Felix the cat, and maybe this will stick. Turtulus presented his case before Felix, saying, uh, We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you. And we found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. True. Paul's like, is it because of the bacon wrapped shrimp? (laughs) (laughs) He's a troublemaker. And Jesus came to bring a sword. So if my mind is truly set on the godly things, it's okay to be a troublemaker, peacemaker. It's kind of a weird thing. It's not a sin to trouble a drowning swimmer with a life ring. Here, take it. Take it. If they reject it and are offended by you for thinking they needed it, well, what can you do? Just keep offering. And yet, now, it is a sin to repeatedly hit them over the head with it. You do too need this. Uh oh, where'd they go? And yet, yet, Paul says, I can one yet you more. And yet, yet, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. He also calls it the offense of the cross. So this is cool. I don't know that I've ever noticed this before. You know, there is a literal rock of offense, a literal stone of stumbling at the crucifixion. I mean, it's in every gospel. Here it is in Mark. Joseph of Arimathea laid Jesus in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the rock-hewn tomb. It's your rock and your stone. It's a tomb with a dead body in it. But they found the stone rolled away from the rock-hewn tomb. So what do you think about that? What do you believe? You see, to those who believe in the resurrection, that empty rock and rolled stone represent power and authority and eternal life. But to those who don't, who reject it, no way. They can only associate those two things uh, with the offensive stench of death. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ 
among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, but it's kind of like gasoline. To the one, the, the one that's perishing, we are the aroma of death, which sadly leads to death. And, but to the other, the ones being saved, it's the aroma of life leading to life. It's a lot like gasoline. But see, they were stunned with that. You got to look at that stone that was rolled away out of that rock tomb and go, what happened? If you believe that's where the church was built on Christ, right there at the resurrection, it's precious. But if you don't, you know, to some, truth stinks. Because to all, truth hurts. And truth often offends. Just by being truth. And even though we are commanded and warned not to cause anyone to stumble by pressuring them to violate their conscience, true peacemakers are expected to trouble those we love and even those we barely tolerate with truth. Therefore, let us, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts uh, sprinkled, uh, you know, with Jesus' blood to, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water in his word. Let us hold unswervingly, see, told you it was a word, unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together. I'm looking at you, camera. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. No, no judgment. Uh, but let us encourage one another because that's just what we do at his place. Let's pray. Father God, we exalt you and adore you and honor you by honoring and developing that still small voice you've placed inside us. Holy Spirit, continue to lead us and soften us and train us to serve in a way that is pleasing to you and approved by those you've placed around us. Lord Jesus, with all our heart, we thank you and praise you for removing our sin and cleansing our conscience. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.